This morning, we are starting a newish series that we are calling uh, Words to the Wise. And if that sounds familiar, that's because you are really wise. And you remember that about three years ago, uh, we went through a series of the same name. And all this was was a journey through the book of Proverbs, seeking to pillage the book of Proverbs for as much wisdom as we could possibly glean from it. We did not go through all of the Proverbs Um, And so we're going to continue that journey over the course of the summer. Happy summer officially, uh, by the way, to all of you. And again, in this series, we want to just spend some time talking about what it looks like to live life with wisdom. What it looks like to live life with wisdom. I don't know if you've ever had um, a moment where you have maybe said with a little bit of chagrin something like this. If only I knew then what I know now. I would have made a drastically different decision. If only I knew then what I know Now, things might be a little bit different. If only I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't carry this regret in my story. If only I knew then. Uh, Man, when I was a teenager, I loved bikes and bike riding with a Passion. The only problem was uh, my family couldn't afford bikes, so we didn't have one. So naturally, I only made friends with kids who had bikes. And I would ask to ride those things as much and as often as possible. I was that annoying kid. Eventually, my friends stopped letting me use their bikes. They didn't like, you know, lending their bikes to me because when I would take their bikes, I would be gone for hours on these epic joy rides and would come back at some point after dark. So they're like, "Mm -mm, no longer using our bikes. So what I naturally started to do was to borrow their bikes And then ask them about it afterwards. It's something I don't particularly um, recommend. On one such occasion, I borrowed um, a friend's bike and I went on a magnificent joyride. And at one point in the joyride, it went from joy to dark pretty quickly. I was coming down a super, super steep hill. And I was doing everything I could to gain as much speed and momentum as, as I possibly could. It was glorious. The sun is shining. The birds are chirping. My hair is blowing in the wind. Um, I don't know what happened. I don't know. The devil whispered something in my ear, whatever. But I decided, like, I want to see what would happen if going 30 miles an hour down this steep hill, what would happen if I turned the handlebars as quickly and as hard as possible. Just like this. Like what kind of trick might I invent for uh, purposes of the Olympic Games? And so that's exactly what I did. 30 miles an hour down the steep hill and I turned the handlebars as fast as I could and it was awesome. Like for the four seconds I was in the air. Like I, I was, I flew like a Bird, it was fantastic. I'd highly recommend that portion of it. The problem was the landing. Oh, nobody should ever have to donate that amount of skin to any kind of a road. It was gross. Um, and it was one of those situations in which I was like, if I knew then 
what I know now, I would have made a very, very different decision. Took that mangled bike and went and told my friend that I borrowed it because it's the right thing to do. Um, I remember also as kids, I'm just making confessions as, as you know, from my childhood. Uh, and many of you have heard this story before, but it bears repeating. When we were kids, my brother and I, who's about 14 months older than I am, my parents loved each other. But so um, we were always convinced as kids that uh, my parents had this stash of treats and snacks that they hid in the house from us. Um, and it was our God-given mission to uncover their stash and to enjoy it, to borrow it and tell them about it later if they caught us. So, um, man, we would wake up early in the morning before they did and we would just run sack everything we possibly could, could think of to find hidden stashes. On this particular occasion, uh, man, I was high, man, in the kitchen above... <laughs> Let me finish the sentence. I was high above like the counter in the kitchen um, and I opened one of the, the cupboards and man, hidden behind useless stuff like, like dishes um, was a can that said powdered milk on it. And you've got to know as a kid, I loved powdered milk. I would just eat the stuff by the spoonful. I don't know why. Don't judge me. You can like what you like. Let me like what I like. Um, so I found this powdered milk and you know, I signaled my brother and he came over and we just went in spoonfuls of that stuff. Uh, now, granted, it tasted a little sour. Like, you know, it had gone bad. I didn't know powdered milk could go bad. Um, it just wasn't the best stash we had ever found. But before we had much time to think about it, we noticed my mom is standing in the doorway and she's just staring at us. And the evidence is hard to hide. So my brother and I are like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we're dead. We knew it. And my mom doesn't say anything to us. She runs to the back and grabs my dad and he comes and both of them stand in the doorway staring at us. We're like, mm, we're dead twice. Um, they don't say anything. My dad charges my brother, picks him up, and runs out the back door. My mom charges me, picks me up, runs out the back door, down the stairs, and they throw us in the back of the car. And they start driving down the streets. And we're like, it was powdered milk. It wasn't even that good, to be honest with you. Then my mom explained the reason it wasn't that good was because your dad took an empty can of powdered milk and he filled it with some kind of a rodent poison. So now we're on our way to the hospital to get your little stomachs pumped. And I just, if I knew then what I know now, I would have made a very, very different decision. I'm just asking you, in your life, have you ever had moments where you've said to yourself, if only I knew then what I know now, and maybe it wasn't related to some teenage, you know, minor crime situation. Maybe it's a relationship. Where you're like, in a moment of impulse and passion, I made a decision relationally. And if I only knew then what I know now, I would have made a very different decision. Maybe it's an issue of investment. Like if I, know, if I knew then what I know now, I would never have invested that much money in MySpace or, or AOL, whatever. Right? Um... Maybe it's the college you went to. If I 
knew then what I know now, I would have made a very different decision. If I knew then what I know now, I would never have, you know, quickly quit my job and moved my family across the country for that promise situation that didn't pan out. I'm just asking you, is there a moment in your life where you've ever said to yourself, if only I knew then what I know now, I would have made a very, very different decision because the most clear, the most clear information we have for making the best life decisions often come long after the decisions have been made and have played out. And as we like to say, because hindsight is twenty twenty. If only I could transport what I know now, back then I would make very, very different life decisions because clarity only comes after the fact. Unless you're wise. Except for wisdom. We're going to put this up on the screen so you can see it. Um, Here's what we're talking about. Wisdom. Wisdom. The ability to make life's best decisions in the moment. Wisdom. The ability to make life's best decisions without the luxury of hindsight. Wisdom. The ability to make now the decisions I will wish I would have made then. Wisdom. It's the art of making decisions which vastly increase the probability that my life will be full and free of regret. That my life will be lived to the fullest and will be lived free of regret. Wisdom. The ability to make life's best choices, best decisions in the moment. And I'm just telling you, if fullness of life and freedom from regret is something that's of interest to you, then you're going to like this series. This series is for you. Again, uh, we're going to take some time to just hang out in the Proverbs. And uh, we want to mine as much wisdom as we can. Because that's what the book of Proverbs is. I don't know how much time you've spent in or around the book of Proverbs. But um, the book of Proverbs is a picture of wise living. Uh, In fact, if you're a copy of the Bible, feel free to to turn to the book of Proverbs. We were in Esther. We just finished that. And if you keep going, you're going to run into the book of Job. Then you're going to run into the book of Psalms. And then you're going to run into the Proverbs. Uh, And today we're going to spend most of our time in Proverbs chapter 4. But you can turn uh, there uh, even now. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, the verses will appear on the screen. And you can follow along that way. Um, The Proverbs. The majority of the book of Proverbs uh, were written by King Solomon, considered to be the wisest man who ever walked the face of the planet. And at some point in his life, he wanted to pass on his wisdom primarily to his kids 
but more generally to the next generation. And we in turn get to benefit from what it is that he captured. And what the Proverbs really are, are a collection of principles that wise people follow. If you want to know what wise people look like, the Proverbs. If you want to know if you are a wise person making life's best decisions in the moment, the Proverbs. The Proverbs. If you want to know whether there is a high probability that your life will be full and free from regret. The Proverbs. The Proverbs. And let me just make this caveat really quickly and we're going to repeat this over the course of the series. Please note the Proverbs are not a collection of promises or um, predictions. Uh, They're not guarantees. They are proven life principles that wise people follow if you live like this you vastly increase the likelihood that your life is going to be full and it's going to be free from regret and I just want to say to you no matter who you are no matter who you are you should have an interest in Wisdom. No matter who you are, you should want to live life with wisdom. No matter who you are, you should want to live a life that is fully as God designed it to be and free from the torment of regret, wishing you had done so many things differently over the course of your life. Here's what Solomon says. We're going to start uh, Proverbs chapter 4 verse 6 as he invites us. To step into a life of wisdom. Here's what he says. Do not forsake wisdom. And she will protect you. Love her. And she will watch over you. By the way, it's really interesting that uh, through the course of this book. uh, When Solomon talks about wisdom, he personifies wisdom. Ah. He talks about wisdom like a person, like a person who longs to be in a relationship with us, like a person who longs to come alongside us, and a person who longs to guide us towards the best possible life's decisions. He personifies wisdom, like she's standing off in the distance, and she longs to know you. She longs to be with you. She longs to journey with you in the decisions you make in the moment and the constant advice that Solomon gives and is going to continue to give whatever you do say yes to her whatever you do invite and include wisdom in your life she will help you make life's best decisions in the moment whatever you do do not miss the chance to make sure That she becomes a part of your journey. Do not hold her at a distance. She wants to come close. The first thing he says to us in essence is welcome wisdom. Whatever you do, welcome wisdom. 
right? The way he says it is, do not forsake wisdom. Do not reject wisdom. Do not refuse wisdom. Do not swipe left on wisdom. Do not even think for a moment about living your life or making life decisions without wisdom at your side guiding you in those decisions. Do not reject wisdom and her advances. Now, if you're anything like me, uh, that raises the obvious question. Why on earth would anyone reject wisdom? Come on, Solomon. Now you're just wasting parchment and ink. Why would anyone reject wisdom? Why on earth would I reject the privilege of having wisdom come and speak into the decisions I make to move me in the direction of fullness and freedom from regret? Why on earth would I reject wisdom? And yet, come on, if you think about it for a moment, we do it all the time. Because when we have decisions to make in our lives, come on, let's be honest. This is church, right? Let's be honest. When we have decisions to make in our lives, we will often reject wisdom and instead will invite and include cuter prospects. There are a lot of cuter prospects and wisdom, by the way, just to be honest. I mean, appreciate that she wants to be in a relationship and all of that, but we will typically invite cuter prospects. Here's what I mean. Prospects like convention. I like that we can be real with each other. So be honest. How often do we make decisions based on what seems to be working for everyone else? That's convention. Convention. I want the data. I want the stats. I want all of the analytics. I want all of the surveys. Because if that's what culture is doing, and if if that's what the experts are recommending, and if that's what my favorite celebrity endorses, then I want to do that. And when it comes time to make major life decisions or decisions in general, we are constantly surveying to find out what is the culture commonly doing? What seems to be working for everyone else? And that's what we invite and reject Wisdom. I don't have the money and I don't have any interest, but goodness sakes, a thousand people have asked me where I'm going to college. And I just know that it's expected after high school, you go to college and then you get in debt and then you you figure out a way to pay it off. And then maybe eventually you start making money. It's convention. It's what everybody does. So when it comes time to make decisions in high school, I'm inviting convention. I don't even like what I wear most of the time. It's clunky and it's uncomfortable and I can't move in this stuff. But it's what's trending. It's what's in. It's convention. I'm a pastor, so it's convention that I should wear a suit and a tie. But I want to wear sweats. And so I'm going to split the difference and wear ripped jeans, whatever. (laughs) Convention. Convention. I mean, some of us have forgotten our favorite color because it's not in anymore. So we make the decisions we make based on the pressures of convention. And my parents, they went to church. 
And my parents, they went down this career path. And my parents, they voted down this party line. And far be it from me to consider ruffling feathers by starting a different legacy. So I've got to continue the convention. Why on earth would I reject wisdom? Because there's a cuter option when it comes to decision making called convention. Here's the problem. I cannot live a life of wisdom and convention at the same time. Those two cannot both influence my decisions. It's convention or wisdom, but it's not going to be both. And if it's not convention, then it's convenience. You know, uh, when it comes time to making life decisions, I make decisions and I go with the flow. By the way, that's part of why we look back on life and we say, if I knew now, you know, what I, if I knew then what I know now, I would not have jumped on the bandwagon everybody else jumped on. If that thing didn't even last two years, that trend. And yet I made my decision based on that. And again, if not that, it's, it's convenience. Like, I just kind of go with the flow. Uh, I make decisions if I'm going to engage something or not engage something um, based on convenience. If it's not going to disrupt my plans and if it's not going to, you know, mess with my schedule, um, if it's a path of least resistance, then I'm going to do it. And for many of us, we reject wisdom because convenience is so much more attractive and accessible. And if it's not that, it's convenience is first cousin comfort, right? How often do you think, listen, I, you know, I'm going to think about that. How are you going to think about it? Well, if, if it will introduce any amount of difficulty or discomfort, it can't be a good decision. It can't be. If it's going to be a challenging one, that can't be a good decision. And so I go to work where I work every day with a pit in my stomach. Because the thought of doing something different, that's uncomfortable. It's unpredictable. I don't know what to expect. So I'm going to reject wisdom and comfort is going to be a little cuter, a little more convenient in influencing the decisions that I make. I know I should address this area in our relationship that I hate it. I hate it. It's, it's making me angry and bitter on the inside. But if I bring this up with him, he's going to be all dramatic and theatrical and he's going to ice me. And so it is just a little bit more comfortable to stay in this dysfunctional pattern. And that's how you've made the decisions about where your relationship is right now. I would go get my annual checkup, but I've heard turn 45 and 50 and those checkups get uncomfortable, right? So I'm going to go with comfort on this one. And 12 years from now, if I knew then what I know now, I would have made a very different decision. We reject wisdom because comfort is often cuter. And if it's not comfort, it's, it's, it's conservation, Right? It's conservation. If it's going to cost me time, it's going to cost me money, it's going to cost me effort, I'm not volunteering. Clearly, it's a wrong decision. That's how I 
decide. I make my decision based on whether what I am asked to give is greater than what I get out of it. Right? Conservation. I want to keep as much stuff and resource as possible for future use in the event of. And that's how I make the decisions that I make. And for some of us, we make the decisions out of busyness. Come on. We reject wisdom because we're busy. Uh, so, yeah, I would call my mom, but I'm busy right now. For some of us, it's just fear. I would do it, but I'm so afraid of failing. And fear becomes the companion at our side when it comes time to make decisions. I assure you, when you look back on your life, you will not be thrilled about the things you did not do because fear was the primary factor. We reject wisdom all the time. And Solomon would say, welcome Wisdom. Do not even think about living a life in which wisdom is not the companion at your side influencing the decisions that you make. You are not going to live life fully as God desires or intends. You're not going to live life free from regret if you do not welcome wisdom. Right? And he hints at that. He says, in fact, if you welcome wisdom, she will protect you. She will protect you from that meaninglessness that comes later on in life when you look back and your parents have approved of all of your decisions and culture liked all of your posts and you were in with all of the trends and yet you feel like I have not even lived. Wisdom will protect you from that. So welcome wisdom. Wisdom will watch over you ensuring that you end up exactly where you were supposed to go regardless of what everybody else shouted, regardless of what everybody else said. He says, come on, welcome wisdom, love wisdom, and she will make sure That your life is what it was designed to be. So I'm just asking, when you look at the way you make decisions, are you welcoming wisdom? Are you rejecting wisdom? And if you're anything like me, I started to look at the Proverbs and I'm like, I don't even think about wisdom. Wisdom is not even in the consideration. I have become so accustomed to the culture and the way I make decisions and wisdom is standing at a distance completely experiencing the friend zone from me. Um, Well, I hear this and it raises another obvious question. Well, how do I do that then? How do I begin to welcome or invite or include wisdom in my life's decisions? Um, Great question. And uh, Solomon says in verse number seven, it was here's, here's how it starts. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Well, thanks, Solomon. That's very wise. He says, though it costs you all you have, get understanding. This is so interesting. What Solomon is essentially saying is, well, you've got to want wisdom. You've got to want wisdom. If you're going to welcome wisdom, you're going to have to want wisdom. Um, 
In other words, Solomon would say to us, you have as much wisdom as you want. Which makes sense in light of the last verse. Oh, wisdom deeply longs to be with you. Wisdom deeply longs to be in a relationship with you. A companion at your side guiding you as you make life's decision. Oh, wisdom wants to be with you. The question is, do you want wisdom? That's the question. He says, if you want wisdom, get wisdom. Unless... You don't want wisdom as much as you think you do. Sitting here in this comfortable church service. Man, this is a call out to the church. I don't think Solomon intended it to be. But man, I think the spirit intends it to be. This is such a call out to the church. Because we love stuff like God. We want more of you, Lord. More of you, oh God. And God says, well, that's interesting because I want to give you more of myself than you could possibly imagine. So get in community and connect with other people. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. Thank thank you, Lord, but no. So what you're saying is you don't really want it. The Proverbs just call us out. You say you want it until you realize that wisdom may cost you giving up something you think is really cute and comfortable. Then you have to acknowledge, yeah, I like comfort more than I like wisdom. Oh, this is the caller. I like her so much, bro. So much. I want to spend the rest of my life with her. I I want her to be my wife so bad. Well, that's interesting because I hear that she likes you too. So why aren't you all together? Because it's weird, man. Like the other day, she wanted me to pick up my phone and call her. And I'm like, what am I, a Spartan? No. I don't do that. Right? And your friend would tell you, like, maybe you don't want her as much as you think if you're not willing to make that small adjustment to your techie life. Dude, I wanted a summer body. (laughs) Oh, for real? Well, what happened? Because, mm-mm. Well, turns out, like, I just stopped, like, the whole, like, uh, you know, two-a-day fast food meal habit like you know what am I like a compassion international kid like I can't live like this I'm so canceled right now for saying that um and your friend would be honest he says you clearly didn't want a summer body enough I think we have the luxury of talking big like I really want the Lord I really want to make a difference I really want wisdom and Solomon is how much do you want it though How much do you want it? Because wisdom starts when you want it enough to get it no matter what you have to give. And that's where most of us would be like, I don't even think about wisdom, let alone have wisdom that high up on the list of things I long for. Which is why we're doing a study in the book of Proverbs. Because for many of us, wisdom isn't even in the conversation. 
let alone high up on the list of things I long for and desire at a heart level. And Solomon would say, oh, go get it. And then he says, though it costs you all you have. Yeah, no, I don't want it that much because my parents may think I'm crazy and the culture may think I'm nuts and my friends might not think, you know, wisdom looks cute on me. So no, I'm not willing to, to go after wisdom and give up comfort and give up. So no, it might mean moving to a different location or maybe changing my career or maybe forgiving someone. I'm, mm-mm. But to live fully and free of regret. He says, you're going to have to want it. This is such a hard conversation to have because we're talking about something we don't even think about. And Solomon is calling us to long for it. So Solomon says, do you want wisdom? Do you want the ability to make life's best choices in the moment that lead you down a path of fullness of life? Is that really what you want? And if so, do you want it enough to come get it, even if it costs you all you have? Because only when wisdom makes it to the top of the list of things you want most in life, will you go get it. If you don't have wisdom, it's because you don't want it enough to choose it above your familiar cute dates. Solomon says she's standing at a distance. Longing to be a part of your story. So I'm just asking you, church, how much do you want wisdom? How much do you want to live a life in which you are making the best decisions now that are moving you down these fullness paths towards the greenest of pastures? And then he answers the obvious question. In our minds, at least in my mind. And he says, um, yes and duh, it's worth it. I don't even think about wisdom. Now you're telling me I should be willing to get wisdom even if it costs me anything. Is it really worth that? And he says, absolutely. Verse number eight, cherish her, that's wisdom, and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. Wisdom is better than all of your booze. She is a priceless treasure. And when you believe that and you start to treat her like a treasure, you start to treat her like she's as valuable as the Bible says that she is. When you start to treat her like the one you cannot make decisions without. Oh, you're going to have wisdom. And she comes with benefits. And yes, I know what I just said. I'm just trying to preach the Bible. Isn't that what Solomon is saying? If you treasure her, she will exalt you. If you are willing to give up anything for her, she will protect. Protect you from regret. She will watch over your future. She will give you more than anything you could possibly have given up to get a hold of her. Yes, wisdom is worth it. Okay, I'm a picture person. Helps me more when I can see what this all actually looks like. 
Uh, did I mention, by the way, that uh, uh, Solomon wrote most of the Proverbs? Uh, did I mention um, also, by the way, that Solomon is considered the wisest man to ever walk uh, the planet? Do you know how Solomon became the wisest man on earth? Of course you do. Because he just told us how he became the wisest man on earth. But here's how it actually um, happened. Uh, Solomon is a really interesting Really interesting guy. Um, His dad, King David, had an affair with a woman named Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, one of his military leaders. And in order to cover up the affair, um, David had Uriah killed. And after Uriah died, David took Bathsheba into his palace as one of his wives. As a result of that messy union, Solomon was born. The son of David and Bathsheba. And of all of the sons he tapped, for some reason, David tapped Solomon to take the crown when he died. So when David died, Solomon became the king of Israel. And he followed in his father's footsteps by having a whole bunch of wives. We're going to step into a scene in his story. And in this particular scene, uh, Solomon has just taken on another wife. This time, the daughter of Pharaoh. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Yep, Egypt, the same Egypt that enslaved Solomon's people for 400 years. He's made an alliance with Pharaoh. And one of the perks of that alliance is that he gets to marry one of Pharaoh's daughters. Something God has explicitly forbidden. Do not marry from these people who worship different gods. And Solomon takes Pharaoh's daughter as his wife anyway. And enters into an alliance with this nation displeasing to God. And then later on, uh, Solomon is at the top of a hill and is offering sacrifices to God. He's offering sacrifices to God on a hill that is used for pagan worship of other gods. Where sacrifices are made to a bunch of other gods. Something God has explicitly said, please do not do that. Do not worship me in that way in those places. So Solomon has taken on this wife he wasn't supposed to take on. And he's worshiping God. in this place he's not supposed to be worshiping God on and God shows up and as you can imagine God speaks to Solomon and he tells him well let's see what he tells him right this is uh second chronicles chapter one this is what God says verse number seven that night God appeared to Solomon on the top of this mountain when he's making these sacrifices and he said to him ask for whatever you want me to give you Huh? But God, he's a bad person doing bad things. Why do good things happen to bad people? God offers Solomon whatever he wants. And I'm just asking you, by the way, quick question. If God showed up and asked you to make whatever request you wanted of him and he would give it to you, what would you ask him for? So curious to know. What would you ask him for? Honestly, don't get some churchy answer in your heart. Lie to God in church. What would you ask him for? Because whatever you would ask him for will reveal what you treasure most. It will reveal the kinds of things that you value the most. What would you ask him for? Comfort, 
convenience, more stuff to conserve? What would you ask him for? Money? An unlimited gas card these days? Long life, eternal youth, health? What would you ask him for? What would be at the top of the list of things that you desire and you would want God to do for you? Uh, I told the first service that I may ask him like for a, to live a really long time at the age of my choosing. Can I stay at the age of my choosing that has no knee pains and, 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 and things of that sort is maybe what I'd ask him for. But I was lying to the first service. What I'd really ask him for is a thousand dates with my wife every day for, um, I don't know what I'd ask him for. I really haven't thought about it, which is the difference between me and Solomon. Solomon had thought about this. He had spent time thinking about what his priorities are, what his values are, what his treasures are. And he says, verse number eight, Solomon answered God, you've shown great kindness to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, Let your promise to my father David be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. And all God's people said, get to the point. Verse number 10. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? Wow. Solomon had thought about this. God, more than anything else, I want you to give me the ability to make life's best decisions in the moment. Not just for me, but for the people around me. God, I want to make the kinds of decisions that lead me into places of fullness and freedom from regret. Not just for me, but for the people around me as well. God, make me wise. This has to be what Solomon meant when he said, cherish wisdom. Do you even love wisdom? Do you treasure wisdom enough to put it at the top of the list of things you desire such that if God asked you, make a request of me, that wisdom would be in the consideration. That's how he got it, because it was at the top of the list of things he longed for. Top of the list of things that he desired. And Solomon would say, if it's not making its way to the top of your list, you are likely not going to get it. It won't matter enough to you. You have too many other options that influence the way that you make decisions. But for him, it was a treasure. It was a value. It was something he cherished. And when God asked him, He made the request. Verse number 11. God loved this. God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire and you have not asked for wealth, possessions or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, mm, God help us. And since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I've made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given you. And I will also give you wealth, possessions, and honor such as no king who was before you ever had and none after you will have. This is what Solomon meant when he said, I promise you, 
If you cherish wisdom, she will exalt you. Whatever that looks like. She will give you more than you could possibly have ever given up for her. He knows that because that's exactly what he experienced in his love and treasure of wisdom. She will protect you from going down broken paths to places of regret. She will honor you above kings. Chase wisdom no matter what the cost. She is worth it. And you will find all of these other things that make life most meaningful chasing after you. And I just came to tell somebody who might be interested in wisdom. Guess what? It is fully available to you today. You don't have to sit and envy Solomon because guess what? God makes the exact same offer to every single person in this room. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. I'm like, Solomon, wow, God asked him and he asked for wisdom and God gave him wisdom. God makes the exact same offer to you. Matter of fact, wisdom is standing in his presence, just longing to be released and come alongside you as a guide who helps you journey towards fullness and freedom from regret. God makes the exact same offer to you. The problem is most of us want what Solomon received Not what he asked for. God offers wisdom to us today. The only question is do you want it like you want treasure or do you want treasure? James chapter 1 verse 5. This is so good. If any one of you lacks wisdom. You want wisdom. You should ask God. He's come to you where you are and he offers it. And God gives generously, wisdom generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. Now that is a promise. Ask for wisdom. Ask for wisdom. I love that. I love this part where it says God will give it generously without finding fault. Man, that is so good. Because I don't know if you knew, but Solomon was the result of a diabolical union. And God offered him wisdom anyway. I don't know if you knew, but Solomon came from an extremely dysfunctional family background. But God offered him wisdom anyway. I don't know what your background is. I don't know what your family situation is. But I tell you, there's no dysfunctionality you've ever experienced that keeps you from experiencing the wisdom that God offers. He's not looking to find fault in your story. I don't know if you knew, but when God offers wisdom to Solomon, Solomon was in the middle of some super questionable behavior. He had just entered into a relationship he should never have been in and is making these sacrifices and God shows up in the midst of the mess he's making and offers him wisdom. That's a beautiful picture of God is not trying to find fault with you. God is not asking about how good are you or what have you done or what have you not done. He is just asking, do you want wisdom enough 
Do you long for the ability to make decisions that will honor me and will fill your life and free you from regret? If so, he says, then ask. I'm like, what? After all of this, like, if you want wisdom, get wisdom. I thought it would have to take a journey, complicated, get some GPS coordinates, and then have to go to school for a very long time to land on what it looks like to be wise. And it's like, oh, no, no, no. If you want wisdom, come get it. All you have to do is ask. The question is, do you really want it, though? Which is what James eventually says. But when you ask God, you cannot be wavering back and forth like, God, I just need a little bit of wisdom to get me to my next comfort. And then I'm good. I'm just looking for wisdom so I can do something really convenient for my life. He says, no, if you want wisdom, you've got to want it and come to him and ask him with this longing to live in a way that honors him and moves you towards the fullness for which Jesus came. Come get it if you want it. You have as much wisdom as you want. Jesus will pay the price for your mess and your sin and your mistake. And God is looking for any excuse to give generously wisdom to anyone who says, I am tired of living haunted by regrets. I'm tired of making decisions driven by this statistic or that trend. I want to live the life that he has called me to live fully and free of regrets. I don't want to get to the end of the story and look back and say, I wish I'd done things differently. Well, do you want wisdom enough to put it at the top of your list and ask God for it? Because he'll give it to you. And for some of us, I think that means we've got to start to ask questions. God, how am I making decisions in my life? And I've got to break up with comfort being the primary driver. I've got to break up with convenience being the primary driver. I've got to break up with convention you know, being, and, and conservation and, and all of those things that I've looked to when I'm making decisions. I want to start making decisions driven by wisdom. So God, give me the grace to long for wisdom more than I ever have. And she will protect you. She will provide for you. She will make sure that all of the things you fear losing will be taken care of anyway. So we're going to spend some time um, in the Proverbs asking the question, am I wise? Am I living based on wisdom or based on culture, convention or trend? And as we look at these different Proverbs, they're going to ask us to kind of Measure where we are. And I pray as we do that, that a longing will continue to grow in us to say, I'm done with trying to figure things out by myself. I want to live according to the path of wisdom. So Father, I pray, please do that thing in us that we cannot do ourselves. Stir in us a a fresh longing, a fresh desire. We can't just conjure that up because we're in church. We need your spirit to remove the things that have gotten in the place of wisdom. And we want to long for the wisdom that comes ultimately from you and moves us in the direction of decisions that lead us towards the fullness that our hearts ultimately long for. May your church be wise. Help us to that end. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.